check test thing? Yeah, yeah. This is T. Parker checking in right now and silencing his phone so it doesn't interrupt things and later. This is Jake Ferg doing the same thing. I mean, if you got a nifty case with yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I got a nifty case because I got this little camera thing attached to the back of it. Oh, so cool. It's, yeah, it's uh, I like it. <laughs> that is cool, actually. Yeah, it's, it actually has a. Um, oh shit! It like uh, when it turns on. It has an optical zoom, and it just feels fucking fancy. No, that takes, <laughs> takes great pictures. That's yeah. legit. Yeah. Do you use it a lot, then? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I've been carrying it around with me. I have my other SLR camera. I've been doing this thing called... I'm going to stop here. Uh, or maybe I should just make this the recording. The levels look fine. Yeah, why not? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it works for me. I've been doing this thing called uh, uh, high dynamic range picturing, which oh, is yeah. you take three pictures, and you put them into a program that overlays them. You take the pictures at different exposures, and then it essentially picks the most, uh, the highest dynamic range of the three pictures, and it assembles them together. So you take a picture of a sunset where the sky and the foreground are both colorful and, like, not blown out or underexposed. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Damn. Um, yeah, so that's... I'm probably going to cut all of that out, to be honest. <laughs> that's okay. That's fine with but, me. But here we are. Um, so I'm sitting here. This is... A, this is another episode of The Artistic Director with Jacob Alexander Ferg. I'm sitting here with Teague Parker. Teague, how are you doing right now? I'm doing well. I'm excited. A little nervous, too, but yeah, that's... It's... I mean, it's fine. I'm just... You know, the... the the interview goes whichever way you want it to go, except for when I want it to go a different way. Right, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll work together until you want to. Until you want to take it. <laughs> I'm in control. Yeah. Um, so, Teague, for the listeners who are not familiar with you, can you just give a brief history of your theater slash improv experience, however you want to color that, up until uh, now? with you being the artistic director of the Dead Parrot Society. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll start with the end point of I'm the artistic director of the Dead Parrot Society. Um, how I got there is I started doing improv eight years ago, my freshman year of high school. Um, we had like an improv team and I was like, I want to do that. And so I did that. <laughs> and then I went further and did classes at Jet City Improv in Seattle. And that's where I met uh, some improvisers that actually ended up coming to Western being on the Dead Parrot Society. Did more improv all through high school and decided to go to Western because of the Dead Parrot Society. Yeah. Um, it Not just first. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it also turned out that they had an amazing acting program. And my senior year of high school, I started doing acting. And so those two pieces kind of came together really well. So my freshman year, I joined the Dead Parrot Society and I started taking acting classes at Western. Yeah, it's just been growing ever since then. I've been doing all the acting series. I'm in my final year with the 400 level acting series, which is just the, for those that don't know, the top, the top level, I guess. I don't want to say top level. It's yeah, just this- the here the longest. That's all yeah, it means. You know, it is the, it's the final stage. It's the exactly. Final stage the, the final stage. Um, so, okay. So I'm going to just jump right into it. I yeah. like getting this question off right off the bat and then we'll ex- follow the river wherever it goes. And it's a big, ambiguous question, so please answer it however you want. Uh, What would you say is your personal slash collaborative artistic direction? Mm. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I think, and I'm just going to answer it the best way that I can. Please, please. Um, I like this. I like it. I think my artistic collaborative direction is just uh, trying to get everybody to be at their peak, if that makes sense. Making it so... 
we're not trying to get the best thing, like who cares about being the best? It's about reaching your potential and going as far as you can with yourself and with the group. Because that way you're creating something that you never expected to. If you have this image of what the best is, you can only create that. Why not discover something mm. more exciting than that, you know? That's a great answer. To <laughs> so actually, this is perfect. I'm just going to... I'm going to kind of scrap everything that I'm doing and just ask this question because I was right before I was meeting with you, this podcast has been kind of evolving and the idea behind it has been uh, evolving and you just hit like pretty much point. You just nailed the like next idea that I just wrote down, okay. which is the question is how do you uh, invoke that best potential in your cast so they can collectively become because you are the director. How do you lead them? How do you like muster it out of them, <laughs> so to speak? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard, right? Like yeah. in any art form, it's just really difficult to find. Like, here's this thing that you're doing really special. Now let's bring that to the top level. And I'm still trying to figure out how to do yeah. it. To be honest, um, I think it's really just it's really just looking at what they're doing naturally and asking them to keep following their instincts it's more just helping people get on their path rather than saying like this is what you do now that's what you do yeah. this it's like i don't know how to be you i don't know how to be anybody else all i can say is i notice this is special about you and i don't know if you know that so let's explore that together let's see what we can build from that point of your own personal uniqueness yeah so we encounter in in directing, especially in any sorts, there's like sort of blocks that people put up on stage mm-hmm. that I'm going to say something and maybe you agree with it is, do you think that uh, those blocks are them not acting naturally? Uh, yes, yes and no. Okay. Sometimes it's people that are putting up the blocks and not acting naturally. Sometimes it's something totally something different um i'm not exactly sure how to describe it but it's for whatever reason they just don't want to follow their instincts or they think that the things that they do are stupid yeah or something along those lines and it's just saying no your instincts are correct you are following something that is interesting now you just got to keep following it keep going with yeah. it so do you think it's like self-judgment especially that gets amplified with performance in my opinion yeah yeah, yeah. especially with improv all these <laughs> all these people that are like so naturally good or like they have their own opinions of what improv's supposed to be so they try to be something they try to be whose line or something yeah. like that instead of being like oh this is Jake on stage. This is Teague on stage doing improv. That's what people are most interested in is people, you know, the classic adage, people living truthfully under the circumstances. Yeah, that's, and that's, there's a um, performer who's amazing named Deanna Flesher, who I'm playing on this podcast. So this is like a little, nice. little, little, little teaser. teaser. Yeah. yeah, a little taste. Um, but she said, uh, I'm going to butcher her quote, but uh, there's nothing more fascinating than watching someone breathe on stage. Yeah. It's like, that's, I, th- that kind of jarred me. I've thought about that idea a lot. And I think where it comes from is like, when you're simply just breathing on stage, you are just being natural. Mm-hmm. That is what you, and there's no real way to put up anything because that's, you're, you're presenting almost, it's almost like you're presenting nothing and you're just right. existing on stage. Right. How do you lead <laughs> a group to, 
to learn how to just exist on stage because that's a tough thing when people start to try to present false ideas of what yeah they want to be yeah. on cruise line yeah yeah I think it's it's really hard with improv because people are coming from all sorts of backgrounds mm-hmm. and training and all that stuff and not all training and improv comes from hey you're you're enough you don't got to do anything else it's techniques to get laughs instead of techniques to be on stage i yeah. think in a lot of ways so it's it's about breaking down everything and creating that foundation yeah. as a group of like hey we don't have to try to do anything we just have to use these techniques and the skills that we've learned over all these years to create a story on stage honestly yeah so that's i think when people come into every group in performance in general, but in improv also, every group has people that come together with their own individual intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, like you yeah, just said, yeah, yeah. I think an artistic director's job is to take all of their intentions and still honor them, but guide the group as a unit into one single direction. Do you have a current single direction for the parrots or have you like, yeah, do you have yeah, a single current? Yeah. You know, I, I, in some ways I think I do. In some ways I think I don't because a lot of this year has been difficult because I've just been really busy. And I think for any artistic director that what they're directing should be their priority. And in some cases it has not been my priority and that's kind of tough to say. And, but it's also important to recognize. So it's like, okay, you've dropped back on some of these things that you want to accomplish over the year. So what can you do to bring it back all together and set the team forward. So in a lot of ways for me with the Dead Parrot Society, it's about setting up as much success for the years to come, you know, leaving the team better than you got it. Yeah. So that 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 includes a lot of like here's documents of things so like expectations for the group here's uh what lesson plans should look like and then that works for education directors that can take those and go like okay these work these work but let's scrap all this stuff and create something it's not about leaving a legacy or something it's about leaving all the tools so that the people after you can create what the team needs to be because it should change every year especially for improv yeah and especially for a college team, because yeah. that's a, a reality that mm-hmm. every college team has to acknowledge is that people graduate, and every college team has essentially kind of this rotating artistic director position. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, usually after two years, if someone's been the artistic director, they're either graduating or they're doing the thing where they're doing like seven years for some reason. Right. <laughs> As they do. As they do. Um <laughs> Can you just speak to uh, adopting the role of artistic director from the people before you and then the idea of how do you springboard that? It's not about creating a legacy, but we'll use the word legacy yeah. uh, forward into the future. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I mean, we both got to see the artistic directors um, yeah. before us. There was John Ramsey and Greg Phelps, and you had other ones that I'm not, I don't, I'm not as familiar with. But Jake Barrow, Zach Wymore, and yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. So I kind of know the other ones. But I remember coming in my freshman year with Greg Phelps, who was uh, very business oriented, um, but still very playful and fun at the same time, which was amazing. But I always remember being so surprised by the fact that this team had three hours of rehearsal and one hour was set aside for business to do all the things 
that a disciplined team needs to address. So publicity, social media, uh, how are open rehearsals going? What can we do to teach better? All these things to be like, hey, this is a very fun craft, but this is how we bring it to the next level of making it professional and making yeah. it something that people should pay attention to. And especially with improv, I always think it's uh, it's one of those crafts of like everybody likes it, but not a lot of people take it seriously. Yeah. It's, it's a hard craft to be like, hey, like we're rehearsing for this mm -hmm. instead of like, we're just going to play around. We're going to do whoosh. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be so fun. Let's do another open scene. Yeah. yeah. Improvisers struggle with doing the deep work that's yeah. involved in an in a actual legitimate professional group. And if you don't treat yourself professionally, then you're not going to seem professional. Exactly. And I just remember being blown away by everybody on the team being like, yes, we've read all of these improv books. Um, we know what all of these formats are. We make sure that we, uh, if that transition we just did wasn't clean, what can we do to make it cleaner, more yeah. technical, all those things that matter to people that care about the craft mm -hmm. and will impress people out in the audience without them being able to identify or label what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely going and knowing more than your audience. Mm -hmm. And so when the audience like sees at least the tip of the iceberg, they're blown away. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what would you say to, say there's an, a hypothetical artistic director who's listening to this right now, mm -hmm. and you just talked about how it's like, oh, some improvisers like being like, woo, <laughs> yeah. uh, what would you say to the person who's like oh shit that is my team w what recommendations would you give to them i think i would say don't lose that don't yeah. it's not a bad thing to be like we play whoosh every time <laughs> whoosh is fun <laughs> you know but it's also saying okay we're playing whoosh well, let, let's just keep going with the whoosh thing right yeah. we're playing whoosh we've done it for five minutes we're keep we're still playing for another five minutes. Yeah. It's starting to notice these little trends that your group has that aren't productive in really any manner. It's like you do a warm up to get warmed up to be prepared for the rehearsal and to also and part of that is raising the fun in the room. But once you've reached that, you you can move on to the next thing. Yeah. So I think it's really just like setting or having your mind ready to analyze what's going on and so you can say this is why we're doing this you should have a reason you don't need a reason for everything that you're doing yeah. but you know your goals for we're doing this warm-up this warm-up this warm-up because they'll accomplish abc and we'll do these exercises because they will help us accomplish what we're going for in like a mono scene or a montage and really setting your lesson plans so that you can direct it towards what your team needs to reach their potential in the show that you're doing or just to work with each other in the space and learn like, hey, this is what you do well. Let's see if we can bring the rest of the team up to you or vice versa. Let's see if we can bring you to the rest of the team and lot, lots of different pieces, you know, yeah. lots of generalities I'm noticing. But I think that's what's important is what what's your foundation? Definitely. Definitely. How do you approach Typically, just or in general, because we're using generality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 
How do you approach in general just teaching the uh, the closed rehearsals for the Dead Parrot Society? Like, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so the way I go about it is um, we pick our formats for the quarter at the beginning of each quarter. And so in my head, I go like, okay, this we have these big formats. We have like the sitcom or like this quarter we're doing the musicals, right? So. Yeah whole improvised musical that needs like five weeks of rehearsals just to start feeling good with this new thing. So you kind of set the shows up um, so that, you know, okay, May 26th, this is a plug, is the musical. And um, but in between, there's another show like May 12th. And so with that show, it's like, all right. We can still rehearse the musical and we'll just make the show that's earlier something that we're more accustomed to so that we can just focus on the musical. So you usually what will happen is I'll say like we have the sitcom format. Let's spend three, four weeks on it and we'll spend the first hour doing exercises that prepare us for things in the format like character work or relationship work and stuff like that. And then the last hour, we're going to focus specifically on the format. So the group is always working on skills that they can use uh, in all improv, but they just happen to be tailored toward the things that we need to accomplish for the next show. Yeah. Uh, This has been something that I've been sort of, I guess, struggling with is when you present these exercises, so you present the exercises, you practice the format, uh, a lot of times when I've done workshops or I'm teaching or mm-hmm. just whatever, um, I'll do the exercises and then uh, I'll we'll do the format or we'll do the practice. And it seems like about half the people have forgotten right. the exercises in that like very short amount of time between actually <laughs> yeah. doing the exercises and practicing the format. Uh, mm-hmm. And this comes back to the idea. I like kind of I'm. I'm enjoying the word invoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do you invoke those those uh, exercises out of them so that they're still in that headspace when it, when they go into again? It's pretty hard. Yeah, yeah it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> That's why I'm asking the question. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, I, I don't know, man. It's like even now, sometimes that still happens. You have to. I think. I think what it boils down to, uh, also advice for the potential artistic directors, is getting your team to start analyzing why you're doing the things you do. Like, you don't have to keep it a secret that we're doing this exercise because, oh, this will teach them character work. And now, now they're not even going to know it. It's like, no, why not tell them? That yes, this exercise is specifically to morph the body in such a way that you don't even have to think about doing character yeah. work. That way they start having all these tools in their head to play with. And then moving forward from that, oh, oh, I lost a thought. That's fine. I mean, that was a, it was a good thought. Like, yeah, <laughs> doing good. Oh, uh, oh, also, uh, the mm. thing that I wanted to add on to that yeah, is yeah. that when you are up front and forward with your team and you don't uh, hide anything from them, mm-hmm. people who will inevitably be the artistic director in future years will see things from you yeah. and they will be like gleaning ideas from you because that's, I think, the worst thing you can do, or not the worst thing, but a, a bad thing to do as an artistic director is not acknowledge that at some point you won't be the artistic director. Mm-hmm. And so if you just leave and there's no one else who can fill that space, that is a sh- shoo-in for failure. Yeah. I want to say, like, how do you prepare the future people? But for the parents, I know the parents are so built around trust. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that I think is just kind of, you can trust just about everyone on the team. I guess, like, my question, I'm morphing my question into, like, can you just talk about how do you 
make sure that that trust is constantly being fostered. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the big way is just like acting like your friends, not, you know, not acting like it, but like do the things besides going into the space from six to 9 PM, you know? And it's, it's difficult, especially with this year because people are so busy. So I can't say that we get to do that stuff all the time, but the times when people can just hang out and be with each other, that naturally brings the, the, the trust into the group and brings the play into it too. So it's like, Oh, I know, I know what makes this person laugh. I know what makes this person laugh. And it's not about when you go on stage, like, Oh, I need to make this person laugh. That's my job. It's that, no, I know how to play with this person on stage. And the audience will always tell when they're having fun, you know? Yeah. It's like, you don't even have to think about it. No. No. When there's, there's trust. And then another thing that I think really helps foster this idea of trust that the parent does, the parents do, I kind of want to use this as a moving into the idea of open rehearsals, Mm -hmm. but uh, the idea that everyone on the team has to uh, unanimously, unanimously vote for a member. Yeah. So there are, I have some pretty strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and they they live in both very positive and like, not, I won't say negative, but like, I guess I'm a, so critical of some aspects. Yeah. But the positive thing is that when you're, when you get on the team, you are like completely unabashedly welcome and wanted by mm-hmm. every other member on the team. And that is just a great thing that is communicated to you when you get on. It's like everyone voted for you. you mm-hmm. There's not a single person who said no. So you're like everyone actively wants you to be on this team. Can you just describe open rehearsals from yeah. your perspective? Yeah, yeah. So oh, that question just flitted. No, no. Yeah, um, yeah just a brief overview too for the open rehearsals. It's just the uh, the Dead Parrot Society holds open rehearsals every uh, every week, and it's just a place for anybody that wants to do improv, learn improv, to come and learn it because uh, the Dead Parrots teach it, and it's usually divided into like little rooms and stuff. When we have a lesson plan, we have an education director that comes up with very specific goals that they're accomplishing each week and also in the frame of the whole year. But yeah, it's... The, the the call-up procedure and stuff like that can be uh, taken very critically and can be very positive. I think the what you were speaking of, the unanimous decision, like that's – you need that. That's essential because there's nothing like improvising with someone you don't want to improvise yeah, with. it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible and everybody feels it. And then all yeah. of a sudden you can't play make-believe with a bunch of people on yeah, stage. Right, right. That's – to take that away from a group of people that that sucks and you know there there are dangers of like exclusivity and things like that but to reach those uh those levels of trust and professionality and just all of those elements you do have to start saying like who do we trust with these Mm -hmm. things it's like any show that you would audition for. It's like, who do we trust to do this role? There's going to, once it gets to the professional level, there's hundreds of people that could do the role that you're auditioning for, but it's about who do I want to work yeah. with and who do I trust to do the things. And then when you, it also serves as a, when you get it, when you get in the team, there's just this inherent accountability because mm-hmm. it takes it's taken so it's taken the entire team to see you multiple times and be on board with you and then take you inwards now you're accountable yeah. people wanted you everyone on this team wanted you and you are accountable um with 
I guess my question, because I want to talk about just the relationship between the performance team and the uh, open rehearsals, mm-hmm. is is there a way or is there a piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is wanting to get on, maybe just a team, not the Dead Parrots, yeah. but or the Dead Parrots, um, that kind of, I, I guess, like holds them accountable for their... So that is a very leading way to ask that. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I totally know what you mean. <laughs> I feel like we're both going to agree on like some yeah. of the answers, you yeah. know? It's just like, I mean, specifically for the Dead Parrots, it'd be like, don't try. Don't try yeah. to impress anybody. You could you could actually take that to any one of if you have to audition for an improv team or if you get called up over a certain period of time. It's just don't try to impress anybody. Yeah. No one's interested in somebody doing just good technical improv. They're interested in this person doing good improv. Yeah. You can teach skills, you can teach technique, you can do all that stuff, but you can't teach someone just to be themselves. Yeah. And to just follow their instincts that's it goes back to acting naturally on stage yeah yeah, the second it's it's really such a funny thing because when you want to impress someone you ask yourself what will impress them Mm -hmm. and then you try to push that aspect forward in your life yeah and it just doesn't work it always i feel like human beings are just attuned to that Mm -hmm. we're just like oh yeah that person's being a little fake in some way shape or form and we all have our falsehoods of course but like that's just an interesting idea because I feel like that's where I've seen, and I'll say also this was what I shot myself in the foot with, but that's what I see a lot of people who really, really, really want to get on the Paris, who go to Tuesdays a lot. That's my, if I had to diagnose a problem, like that would be it. I mean, the advice is don't try that hard, but sometimes that I'm just trying to like try harder. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, I'm trying to mine down deeper into that because I want, how do you, how do you root for them enough where they can start rooting for themselves? Yeah. Is that an interesting question? I think it is. (laughs) We're about to say it is. I think if anything else, um, you know, I think, I think there's some ways that you can start getting them to think about themselves rather than, uh, the other people in terms of, trying to impress them and that's just being like I actually learned this from you for like uh, giving feedback at um, rehearsals and stuff it's asking what do you, did you think of rehearsal yeah what did you impress yourself did you accomplish the goals you wanted to do it's like let's work from there first yeah. like if you're if you are setting goals every week and you're being like, I'm going to work on relationships and location this week. And it's like, oh, I didn't really do any scene painting in this. I didn't, my pantomiming, I could be more specific in that stuff. Then you're starting to get excited about the work that you're doing. And all of a sudden, everything else falls to the wayside. But then, then the balance is keeping, okay, I'm working on my stuff, but I'm also here for my of my partners on stage you know yeah I think the checking in is super important because you can just throw a note at uh, any old note at someone mm-hmm. uh, and if they're not conscientiously thinking about that idea a little bit you can see when people are trying at least yeah and I think checking in with them be like what are you thinking about right now what is your what is your headspace in right now let's talk about those things mm-hmm. because typically people are thinking about things that they're doing well or not well yeah it's not like the in between stuff so you can learn a lot just by asking someone that being said <laughs> uh, there's a very fickle process of giving notes in open rehearsals because yeah. it's 
there's a there's an environment in open Tuesday rehearsals where we are all peers, and mm-hmm. I really like sending the energy out that like please don't treat the mainstay or the the ensemble performers as if they're different because it's just we're all a bunch of people in this room who yeah. want to do improv they're not better we're not any better yeah exactly it's just like that's the circumstances that we that the ensemble had set themselves up to be on the ensemble mm-hmm. and that's just not the circumstances that other people have it's like not inherently better or worse human yeah. beings right yeah. <laughs> it's just experience too yeah. it's like i've happened to do this a little longer than you i have some things to say and some of them are gonna be wrong too some yeah. of them won't work for you some of them will it's like you don't have to no ensemble member is the best and there's plenty of tuesday members that are really amazing it's just there's all sorts of things that are going on. Yeah, and that's I, I as I was leaving the parrots, I got a little bit more vocal about the idea of like, y'all, this is a fucking college team. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is a college team, and that's it's great that we hold ourselves to such a professional standard. In fact, I think that is what sets us kind of like above uh, and beyond some like what what a traditional uh, college team is. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you, you have to kind of lower yourself and yeah. <laughs> and realize it's like this doesn't make anybody on the ensemble better. It doesn't it? It's not this great. And yeah. after you leave college. Almost no one is going to give a shit <laughs> yeah. about what you did in college for improv. Like that's right. and that's true almost across the board. Um, I'll say across the board. So when ensemble members are giving notes to not ensemble members, how that that's just such an interesting relationship to me mm-hmm. because it's these people who we're, we try to equalize, and then these people at the end of rehearsal come to the performing members and they say, "Hey, can you give me a note?" If someone's coming to you and asking for a note, what do you think is is the kindest way to give a note? Uh, yeah. Again, it's kind of harkening back to the idea of being kind versus being nice. Yeah. But the kindest way to approach that. I, I mean, well, I mean, I always start, like, like I was saying, just with like, well, what did you think first? And then trying to, I think you got to start by letting them acknowledge like, hey, you can see the good things that you did too because you can learn from those as well. And then... At least when I give notes, it's when they start going into the territory like, man, I, I just sucked at this or I did something like that. It's like you not telling them they didn't. You go like, I noticed that that was something you can pay attention yeah. to as well. But here's what can we do to better that yeah. instead. It's like acknowledging the things that are tougher or the things that you notice on the sideline. Like, hey, you, you steamroll scenes. And that's... That's something to pay attention to. Yeah. And there's, there's, there is nice ways to say it. And, but there's also the kind way to say it of just being like, don't, you don't have to be vague. You don't have to be like, Hey, you, you know, there's a lot of people that want to get on stage yeah. and you got to share. It's like, you're like, no, like you, you spent a lot of time on stage. And I think you can share the stage more with people because you're not being, you're not attacking them personally. It's the technique, but the, hard part with the open rehearsals is that some people are there just for fun some people are there to do it for the rest of their lives and that's a really big disparity so being kind not nice it's like it is a balance and i think it's learning what uh what level people are at if they're coming to feedback that's usually a sign like okay they care a little more interested yeah yeah but it's oh it's it's a tough one it's tough. How does notes differ between giving them to open rehearsals and 
I'm, parents still do notes after shows, right? They do. Uh, a little bit. We okay. haven't done them as as much this year, and that that falls on me. Okay. Um, but it's that that can be harder for me, just because you know I started on the team, so on my freshman year and going all the way through and being like, how am I going to be the one to give notes to performers that I respect and mm-hmm. think they they're already doing amazing work. But that's what we have to do. We have to hold each other accountable yeah. to keep moving forward and to yeah. keep pushing ourselves to the next levels. Whew. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. yeah. So that's a thing that I'll just, a thing that I've wrestled with and seen before is people, when they get on a performance troupe uh, of any sort, there are some people who, in this way, maybe not explicitly to themselves, but implicitly state, it's like, I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> now exactly. it's like, um, yeah, this is like <laughs> the top that I'm doing. I don't need to work anymore. How do you continue to lift this group up? How do you make sure even the best people aren't stagnating? I, I think, um, well, one of the elements that make the quote unquote best people the best people is that they're not satisfied yeah. so that can be a little easier with those people who are like yeah well shoot i need to keep pushing forward yeah. even even for people that are like maybe not doing as well it's just like well i want to do better so i'm going to figure out all the ways and they'll they'll reach that point and allowing time for everybody to kind of get where they need to be is totally fine but in terms of like getting everybody on that level getting pushing people forward i think it's um i think it's just about finding out what we're doing as a commonality between all of us, finding out like, why why are our transitions so sloppy right now? What can we do to make our transitions back to what they used to be? And that way everybody's starting to figure out like, okay, we can work on this goal together and we're naturally working on these things. And again, building that foundation to work from. And then it's like outside of rehearsal, that's when you're starting to like, where the trust comes in of we're going to talk with each other. We're going to see, Hey, what, what do you feel like your improv's doing right now? What can we do to help you? And what can you do to help me? And I know like every quarter and we haven't got to do that as much this quarter, but we would do uh, the feedback circle. Yeah. Which is brilliant. Yeah. It's (laughs) the best thing we can do because it's, you get 10 minutes or so of everybody telling you, this is what I notice in your improv. That's that's crazy yeah. just to have everybody focus on you and to have everybody say like, hey, you are important to me. So I'm going to yeah. tell you the honest truth of what I think. And just for the listener who doesn't know mm-hmm. what a feedback circle is, essentially it's and I would highly recommend this for any performing ensemble, especially mm-hmm. improv performing ensemble. Everyone in the ensemble sits in a circle and you essentially you get one minute to talk about yourself and then everyone going around the circle gets one minute to talk about you. Mm-hmm. And it's really pretty much the all of the guidance. And it's just it, also going in knowing that you're not trying to attack anyone yeah. or tear anyone down. It yeah. holds people accountable and yeah. so effective. Um, and I think a really important part with the feedback circle, too, is that the person getting feedback doesn't talk. Oh, yeah. They don't say anything. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. good. You don't. Good, good catch. Yeah, I mean, you just don't. Because even when everybody's giving you notes, it's not about like, I need to do everything. Some of the things are going to apply and you're going to say, that's important. I need that. Some of the things you're going to say, hmm, you know what? 
I'm, I actually don't need that, but thank you for the note. And you can put that to the side and you don't need to show anybody. You don't need to tell anybody. You just have a whole list of things that yeah. you can work from now. Yeah. And that's, yeah, not being able to respond is like sort of maniacal in a great way. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it takes power away from you in a good way. Mm-hmm. In, in a way where it's like that, oh, that is almost kind of what being vulnerable is. Yeah. Is you're just allowing someone to, it's like, yeah. Yeah, Teague, you get a minute to talk about me, and you're just going to tell me the things that you've seen in mm-hmm. my improv. Uh, and that's like, that's great. And I have no, I'm just powerless to whatever. I'm not, not saying that you're going to hurt me. No, something, no. But it's still like that that response. So many people are like, well, blah, blah, blah. it's like the second a note comes yeah. up, they like, their brain clicks into like, well, I need to explain this now because like yeah. this person isn't seeing it exactly from my perspective. Yeah. Something that you have to understand, like, like love. Like you should have known, like oh that that I did that character because the scene did this, yeah. and then we went down here, and there was a coffee shop, so of course I had to do this. Like the, you can have an answer for everything. Yeah. So this is a this is a question that I guess we haven't hit, um, which is I'm just going to ask it how I wrote it. Uh, what things do you think can stifle a college group's creativity? Toxicity. <laughs> just not believing in something. Like that will kill anything. It, it, what what we're doing is making things up. That's it. And you have somebody. There's no rules. And to tell have someone judge that that will just crumble everything. Because now all of a sudden there is rules. It's like oh, you're not supposed to joke about this. You're not supposed to initiate a scene like that. And yeah. then why limit? Limitlessness. But I think that's the number one yeah. thing that could kill any group, any mm-hmm. c- creative team is saying that's wrong. How do you go about identifying uh, toxicity? We'll just start with identifying toxicity. Yeah, you know, I'm still not good at it because yeah. I'm someone, this is the thing I need to work on is I'm really bad at uh, addressing conflicts and stuff like that. So I don't want to be like, hey, don't do that. Yeah, you're, you're a people pleaser. <laughs> yeah, I'm a people pleaser. I very much am. So, you know, the times where I do notice that people are judging each other, I don't always say something when I should until like gets out of hand. But yeah. I think for if I was to do it over again or moving forward and learning from that, it's about addressing those things as soon as they happen yeah. and not, you know, it's not to attack anybody. It's to be like, hey, that's not what our group is about and you may not even know that you're influencing the rest of the team this way but here you go it's the same as a feedback circle it's like here's the feedback of this is how your attitude is affecting the space right now yeah um and again i could do so much better at that but that's what we all are learning yeah exactly yeah that's why we talk about things yeah exactly exactly yeah Artistic director is more of an active than a passive role, almost always. Mm-hmm. Like you are the one that the group is looking towards to take action on mm-hmm. just about anything because you are the you're directing the team. Yeah. Um, and so, so how do you go about if you've identified toxicity? How do you go about like eliminating or uh, eliminating is a pretty strong word for that, but addressing and removing toxicity from a group? Do you have any anything to speak to that? I think the biggest thing is just addressing it with the person. Yeah, first. One, one-on-one. Yeah, one-on-one, just being like, hey, this is how your attitude's affecting rehearsals. Like, what can we do to help you 
so that you don't feel this way because it's 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 not always just the person it's they they may not know what they're doing so yeah. you just gotta bring it up um yeah yeah i think it's as simple as that and then yeah. if it gets even more and more serious and complicated then you know different measures have to be taken but yeah at that point you you have a different problem on your hands i, I think yeah. it's like an outside of because that's another thing is that Creative people are just weirdos, and they yeah, like yeah. they just kind of like improv groups, especially, are just kind of this random set of people that are all mashed together mm-hmm. for like some reason. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And th- there are things, but like you know, with weird creative people, there are things in life and there are tendencies and, and personality traits that sort of sully the waters or muddy the waters yeah. a bit. And so it's this is a a challenging thing because it's. You wanna, you want them to honor who they are, and you want them to be the like their natural, who like themselves, just be themselves. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when people are being themselves, they're like their tendencies that they've learned are like judgmental or critical or like maybe aggressive and attacky. Yeah. Um, I guess. Do you think there's a good way again of invoking? <laughs> yeah. Can, can you can you address someone to like try to? This is getting to like a point where. You have to deal with their personality. Yeah. Where does that line stop for the artistic director for you? Oh boy, I I'm still trying to figure that out because it is some things are just people have harder personalities sometimes, and it's that yeah they say things point blank, but there's some good elements to that there's some bad elements to that, and it's it's about. It's about when it becomes harmful to people, when it becomes like your personality is attacking other people's personalities, or it's what can we do to kind of alter how you address things in this professional space to so that we can all work together and feel safe because we do have to remember that this is a rehearsal space. There are some rules and conventions that come into that. Once we're outside of the room, what your personality is is what your personality is. But when we come in here, there are some things we have to agree upon of like, okay, we're not going to talk over each other. We're not going to point at somebody and say, you're wrong, the, things like that. I think that the most important thing that you could do with um, hard personalities is just setting up what are what are the rules? What do we expect from each other when we come in here? That way there's something to go back to of like, Okay, so we're deviating from this. Now you can make that call as an artistic director to be like, okay, I have something tangible in my head yeah. to be like, no, we agreed we would do this. And it's no longer about like, no, your personality just doesn't work with the group. It's no, what we signed up to do, we are not doing. So yeah. what can we do? And you had the written set of expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does how does putting it down in writing change the way that you deal with those expectations? Yeah, yeah. I think I think what it does is uh, <laughs> the lights went off. The lights went off, and Teague and I just like both started waving our hands to like do the. It was agreed upon thing yeah, yeah. in that moment. And then as this podcast happened, it, now you had, now you know now you know listener. You know what sucks is that I just forgot the question now. Oh, uh, uh, it's oh, putting things down in writing. Oh, putting things yeah. down in writing. Right, right, right. Um, I think what putting things down in writing does is there's no more assumptions. Yeah. There's no more like, 
well, I think that this means this, da, 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 da. It's like, no, we have it right here. We're going to follow this. We're, we try to arrive 15 minutes early to rehearsal. It's no longer a thing of like, well, we should come 15 minutes. It's like, nope, it's on paper. Yeah. We shouldn't text during our stuff. We, then, the, you know, there's some expectations where it's like, we will treat each other with respect. Um, and then you kind of define what respect is mm-hmm. so that you're just getting specific. You're, you're, you're giving names to things, not to take away their power, but to give them more power and weight in the room. Yeah. Do you, um, what, what are some of the most important expectations that you can rec- just recall now? Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. One that I think is really important for an improv team specifically is that we are excited to perform. We jump at the opportunity to go on stage um, knowing that there's fear, knowing that there's going to be hesitancy, but knowing that we are here together to explore that world yeah. as as a group. And so you don't have to be as scared to go put yourself out there in all honesty. Yeah. And that trust yeah. eliminates that fear, which is great because mm-hmm. it's the the worst thing in the world in improv is the thing where that people do where they are on the side of the stage and they kind of do one step and then they mm-hmm. stop. It's like, oh, that was that was you resisting your correct impulse. That was an idea that will never exist. Yeah. Now, like that's that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, you were in, a, in this kind of ambiguous way. You were about to be yourself. Yes. <laughs> you were about you were about to breathe on stage. Yeah. <laughs> you were about to do that and the, to tell someone like you don't deserve to breathe on stage. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, that, it's ridiculous. It's, it's much less yourself. Yeah. That's when, when you stop yourself on the side, like that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, I actually, ooh, that that impulse that I had isn't as good as nope, nope. Uh, something that is happening on stage. Where it's like, it's truly when you start going into the form with like non judgment, complete non judgment. It's mm-hmm. just this. It's so whimsical. And it is like a free. game changer. Yeah, it really is. It's all play, and it's just like after that first initiation, everything's discovery. There's no more creating. It's just like, yep, and that's supposed to happen, and that's supposed to happen, and that's supposed yeah. to happen. I um. I think we've already kind of talked about this, but I want to ask the question again because I just really like the idea of complete and total non-judgment of, like, yourself and others especially. Mm -hmm. I mean, just in life in general, but... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But uh, in improv specifically, do you have a a piece of advice to tell people who have experienced uh, trying to perform and feeling that self-judgment hinder themselves? Mm, Yeah. I think think first off, you just got to... You got to acknowledge it. Like, it's like, that's okay. What you're doing, especially with improv or with any creative thing, you are putting yourself out there. And in a lot of ways, I think improv is the most vulnerable because people are getting the closest examination of an idea just leaving your head. You don't get to refine it. You don't get to make it pretty and nice. It's just boom. It's right there. And so acknowledging that that is a hard thing to do. And then starting to be like, okay, uh, with improv, I'm going to learn how to support other people on stage. And that's important. But I think an equally important part for people that are judgmental or shy or anxious or any of those things, all the things I was right before I did improv. Yeah, right. yeah <laughs> it was, oh, I will also learn how to be supported on stage. Mm, that's and, crucial. Yeah, because you, you owe it to the rest of the team to say, here's an idea. 
we can play with this idea. I trust you to play with this thing that I just came up with. And I think working with that in mind, you have to find the right people to do it with and you will find the wrong people. And that's, that has to happen. Yeah. You have to know that you there's going to be some people that just don't want that like you, but once you do find those people, start trusting them more and more, throwing more of yourself out there. And then you're basically proving to yourself that, oh, yeah, the things I do have to say are important. I should keep talking. I should do yeah. more of this stuff. And then all of a sudden you're talking to everybody on campus. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, like exactly. That progression. It, it just starts – you do it so well on stage that it kind of infects it mm-hmm. in your, your everyday life. And that yeah. comes with the realization – and this is a, a – I forget where I saw the quote – it was just some random, I think it was some random internet thing, but it's just the idea that you are enough. Mm-hmm. Like you by yourself are enough. And that's not, I think a lot of people think that they aren't enough mm-hmm. and that the performance that they do is what makes them enough. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a difficult thing to teach to someone. I guess telling someone that specifically helps, yeah. but that's I, I don't really have a question to follow this up, but that's kind mm. of like I think that's that's the, my I, that's where I've been living with this idea is like just the understanding that you are enough. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I, you know it goes back to the breathing on stage. It's just the there's no one else that will breathe on stage like you. Yeah, so why would you rob that from the world to see? Yeah, why that's would beautiful. You, yeah, why would you try to be anything else? There's no one else like you. You you not being who you are is just taking away a whole experience from life that people can learn from, that people can see and go like, oh, what does that mean for me? You know, it's that, wow, I'm, I'm making some jumps. But there's, it's like the Joseph Campbell, the power of the myth, right? It's... Yeah. Um, Yeah, you have all these mythologies and you can be one of those mythologies, but you can't be it unless you allow yourself to be just you and let people learn from your experiences and learn from the things that you do. And that's hard. That's hard to be like, I'm going to trust myself enough. I think people always find that it's worth it in the end. It's just taking the tiniest steps and knowing maybe I'll get there in 20 years. Maybe I'll get there 50, 80 and trusting that that's enough because each time you take the steps, you're further along. There's no destination. You're just yeah, trying to get just, there. Yeah, you're going to keep stepping yeah, forever. Yeah. Um, so and I'm just going to completely shift gears. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you seen the Parrots? Parrots is a constantly evolving group. Mm-hmm. How have you seen the dynamics and the style of the Parrots shift from when you were a freshman to now when you're a senior? Right. Uh, right, yeah. I think... Oh, kind of going back now. My freshman year, I think that the team was very focused on the uh, technical elements of improv and also just doing like playing the game uh, was a big thing from what I remember. So everything was clean. Everything was crisp. If if the improv was not its best quality, it was going to look like it was at all times. <laughs> and that's that's impressive. Uh, yeah. That that can trick an audience of like, I didn't laugh, but that, that was really clean. Like, yeah. look how they spaced on stage, all that stuff. Yeah. So I remember that my freshman year. And then moving forward, it started to become more about the – uh, exploring the characters on stage and exploring honesty and just being honesty, not necessarily meaning like we're always going to play ourselves, but like, you know, 
the example I always give is the troll that does taxes or something yeah. like that. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's let's explore what it's like for this creature to do that yeah. thing in an honest way. Yeah. Um, so we moved from that to that, and that was like the last two years because John was artistic director for two years. Um, so it was just kind of deepening the honesty and exploring that. And now this year, I think it's uh, I think it's evolved to a lot more of the play aspect. And what happens with that is that there's a lot more energy on stage and the performers have a lot more fun, but also we lose some of the, um, the technical elements. So that's not a bad thing. It's just trying to find the perfect balance of that. So the improvisers are having the most fun that they can. It's visually appealing to an audience and you're crafting a story that is compelling that people want to listen to. Um, so I think, I think the play is one of the hardest things to create in a team. So it's it's a nice place to work from. But now uh, I think that would be the biggest thing for this group of performers right now, just figuring out how can we discipline ourselves with this huge amount of energy that we have. Yeah. It's back to the time. Yeah, it's going, it's the, it's back to the technical. There's a, there's a terrible part about learning uh, the technicality of improv, mm -hmm. which is, you become surgical yes and you kill it <laughs> <laughs> yep it's no it's like because everybody knows what the joke any good improviser knows like yep that's the next joke yeah exactly it's, or yeah you can watch an improv show yeah exactly it's like oh uh, this is going to be this beat and I'm pretty sure this is going to be this beat and it just happened and yeah. scene cool yeah, and scene great yeah <laughs> I can't tell you how many improv shows I've, uh, I've like watched and not been in where I'm just like sitting in the audience and I'm it's just like scene. doing the scene it's like it's scene 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 <laughs> Um, that's, that's such a painful feeling. Oh my god, it's excruciating. Mm -hmm. It's excruciating to watch, like to be able to diagnose improv. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so so how do you keep? How, how do you get a technical understanding and then uh, and then not let that technical understanding get in the way of the play? Yeah, it, I mean it's like <laughs> I mean they all tell us right. You got to learn the rules so that you can forget them. Yeah. But I think you just got to keep doing it. You just got to keep performing, keep performing, keep performing. And for a while, that surgical nature should be at the forefront of your mind because that's what you're working on. Yeah. And that's okay. That's I think, good. Yeah. I think there's a lot of times where improv rehearsals are like, okay, uh, I need to totally empty my head and don't have to think about anything. It's like, no, it's still rehearsal. Yeah. You can still focus on I'm going to do all scene painting, all my scenes. Yeah. That's okay because you're working on that element. Having those specific goals are what will make you better instead of just going like, okay, I have all of these things and I'm going to do them all at once. Okay, that scene went well. I'm fine with that. It's like that you don't learn. It is weird because it almost seems like a, a not very helpful note. It's like learn the rules to forget them. Yes. It's yeah. like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. So I guess, yeah, making sure that you work on them for a little bit and then trusting that they will be there is what happens. Yeah. So work on them, but then let those goals go to different places. Yeah, it's like trusting your subconscious has them all stored. Yeah. Like, I, can, I can go through this and find... And then that, that kind of pairs strangely, like it goes against and it works with the idea that you are enough mm -hmm. because... Anybody on stage just doing something, as long as they're just engaging with their scene partner, I think something good can typically happen. Yeah. In fact, I think it's almost, it's very difficult to have a terrible improv scene when you are engaged with your scene partner. Mm -hmm. It's when you disengage with your scene partner when improv just falls to pieces yeah. immediately. 
And so like that, even before any technical thing comes in, uh, that's you are enough. And then it's, it's giving yourself the supplies uh, that will make you more proficient in being enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like any any acting class you take, they'll tell you, like, this isn't going to teach you how to be a good actor. It's just tools to unlock what's inside of you. Yeah. So it's it's. I think that might be the way to think about it with improv. It's just like, here's all these tools to say, I'm going to take down this wall and this wall in myself so I can just keep going with what is naturally inside me. Yeah, yeah, because people know it. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows how to do improv yep. inherently. It's, in fact, I, I've been telling you, this is kind of like, I guess, maybe can be inconsiderate to people who have been trying really hard, but I tell people that improv is very easy. Yeah. It's stupidly easy, mm-hmm. and it's the way that you make it not easy is by putting up those things yep. and thinking too hard about what does it mean when I get up in front of a group of people and, oh, no, they're judging me. Now I'm judging myself. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking – now I'm judging that I'm judging myself. And now, I, you know, I have three thoughts that are removing me from the scene that's immediately happening. Yeah. Currently. A way that you can support is by being uh, present. Mm-hmm. And getting out of the way of yourself, but it's the big question: How do you get out of the way of yourself? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, different people like, have different experiences. Because yeah. you you're doing something that's harder than any other art form because you don't get time. It's, yeah. it's immediately right out there, like we were talking <laughs> about. It's simultaneously like so easy and so terrible. Yeah, well, it's so tough. Yeah, it's just it's the fact that we do improv every day, and it's like that's what we tell everybody: of like, if you yeah. talk to somebody, you're doing improv. It's just trying to get people to believe that that's enough on stage yeah. I think can be tough that's like, huge like all the times we do the exercise just have an honest conversation on stage and the audience that is listening to the exercise loses it and they have so much fun and it's like that was so funny yeah. and people can't find that bridge to bring that on stage of like hey if you just talk to this person like you would talk to them that could be enough and then sometimes you're putting on another veil of now you're doing it with this character in mind. Now you're doing it with this location in mind. It's like you're just giving yourself all these things to play with. And Also, this reminds me, yeah. this is actually a thing that you told me during a feedback circle that we had, which is like, I think during my one minute, I was like, I'm kind of feeling stressed out when I get on stage. And you said, if you're feeling stressed out, take a break. You can take a break from improv, and that is mm. phenomenal advice, in my opinion, because the way that you supply what you do on stage is by living an engaging life outside of improv. Right. And so that's, I think, when you consume yourself with improv and, like, you're in this world and you want to get better or you want to do, like, you want to go to the next level, mm-hmm. um, you get jostled in this tiny container that is improv. Yeah. And there's not much to explore in your scene work outside of this container. So mm-hmm. it's like, that was a, I mean, that was an awesome piece of advice. And I think I stopped performing for a little bit. Um, and it was just, it's just nice. It's just nice. And then you don't have to think of, you, you can let yourself process the technical side of it also. Yeah. It's just like when, if you give some distance, it's so helpful. Yeah. It's not all in the frontal lobe. Yeah. And, and it's like, cause when you get to that point, on stage where it's like, I got this suggestion. I could only do the scene that I did last week with this suggestion. <laughs> like I've been there where I like, I don't think I can do yeah. any other scene. This is going to be exactly like all the other ones yeah. I've ever done. Yeah. And it's like, that's when you're in a bad place. Cause yeah. when you can do anything in the world and you think you can only do this one thing, 
then it's like, okay, I need to step back, you know? Yeah. Writer, writer doesn't have to write every day. It's learning how to be disciplined to do it every day. Yeah. Um, that's good. But it's, it's, it's just, you know, take that time for yourself when you know, I can't believe I said that back yeah. then, but yeah. that's, that's funny. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that being said, the, the whole, I've done I think every variant of cheerleader scene that I could ever like. <laughs> Go team! Yeah, it's like, all right, pyramid. Like, this is a funny gag. Yeah. Uh, we're going to mess up the cheer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, someone's off rhythm. Like, I got him. We'll all make eye contact and say the word at the same time. Uh, audience loves it. Yeah, every time. Oh, it's so impressive. They're yes, saying yes, the same yes. thing. Wow. Uh, We're just judging an audience for <laughs> us doing our crap. And an oh, audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're the best and the worst. Yeah, best and the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're we're just talking. It's yeah, yeah. Like kind of ex- once you go down this like river of like talking about mm-hmm. things, you kind of I don't know. There, there's this. This is kind of interesting because it's inherently judgmental. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to like. There is, I think there's immediate judgment and then there's judgment in hindsight. And I don't think that judgment in hindsight is necessarily unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, I think it's if, as long as you're setting your intention, it's like, I'm going to look upon my past. I'm going to see what I've been doing. How can I improve? Yeah. That's judgmental, but that's, it's judgmental in a time where you are sitting down. It's like, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not occupying my, my, uh, self with anything except for just processing this. Mm-hmm. So when you're judging and doing the thing at the same time where you're just screwing yourself over. Yeah, um, yeah. Because you, you, what you want to do is analyze. You want to to learn from the thing, not judge it and be like, that sucked. Now <laughs> now I need to quit. No, it's going like, I didn't like how that went. So how can I make it so that doesn't happen again? Yeah. And then asking every time, just like, what can I do better next time? Yeah. And then just constantly catching yourself. That's why you have to constantly catch yourself because mm-hmm. that's... Like the oh, the perfect example for me and for a lot of improvisers is when you do a big character at the beginning of the scene. Like at the end of the scene, you better have that same voice and that same physicality. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many scenes I've done where it's just like <laughs> it, it goes into like a very like soft version of it. Where it's right? Like, yeah, it's like I'm hunched over at the beginning and then I'm like kind of just standing. <laughs> I'm not gonna keep doing this. Are you yeah, kidding like, me? Oh, this hurts. This I'm sore. But that's that's another interesting idea. Is the um, uh, this is from Rich Brown, who we've both mm-hmm. uh, been taught by. But he says that if you feel sore, that is where your character is living. Yeah. Because that's a part of your body that you're holding in a way that you don't typically hold. It's like, ooh, that's yeah. juicy as shit. Yeah. There's that. And then there's the other Rich Brown thing of, like, what are you risking on stage? Like, what – if you just go on stage, like – you know, are you are you gonna risk just breathing on stage? That is a risk. Are you gonna risk? Uh, uh, I could possibly not hold this character for the whole thing, so I'm gonna do everything I can to live in that struggle and live with that character. Yeah, people love watching that too. Yeah, people. It's like it's be someone being kicked in the nuts will always kind of be funny. Mm-hmm. So like watching people like trying as hard as they can and failing or in pain, it's like, just like <laughs> yeah. it, why is that so delightful? Do you have any idea? No, I, I, I don't. It's just I, delightful. I don't know. It's, a, it's the fall of the hero. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's, yeah, that's good. Br- bringing it up. Yeah. 
<laughs> back to Joseph Campbell. Yeah, yeah, all the way back to Power of Man. Yeah. Which is a great book, uh, mm-hmm. I will say again. Uh, okay, so we're a little bit past an hour. Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Uh, any ideas that are bouncing around in your head? Or maybe something that you wanted to visit that you, we were talking about earlier? Uh, uh... I, I think uh, I'd be curious just to get your thoughts on things, Absolutely. too, with um, just, like, doing improv in a more professional manner and, like, doing – being either artistic director or, like, teaching and all that stuff. Do you find that it's, like, really hard to do your improv after that? Like, it's really hard – for me, like, as artistic director, I always – I find that I wear my artistic director hat in scenes, so it's like I, I need to demonstrate my skills while yep. I'm doing this. It's like I feel like that's a really hard thing to let go. Yeah. So something that I have been encountering during this podcast, and this will be an interesting idea to talk about, is that uh, there's some there's a there's actually a very contentious idea in the improv community, uh, and that idea is if you are the artistic director, you should not be performing with your team, mm. uh, and that is fascinated me it's something that when i started this i wasn't i I had heard that idea kind of before but i wasn't expecting to run into it as much as i have been because and the the idea behind that is you will have your artistic director hat on Mm -hmm. you will and if you're not performing with the team and you're out in the audience watching you can wear that hat and you can fully wear it and objectively see what's happening and then that's especially if you're if you're uh, if you want to take notes, that's you can watch a show, you can take notes, and it's mm-hmm. like this is just what I saw from the outside. When, when you're in an improv scene, you're wearing the artistic director hat, but then like on top of the hat, you're wearing the improviser hat, mm-hmm. and you're kind of trying to pull the improviser hat down over the artistic yeah. director hat. Uh, but you have to because there's just a different quality mm-hmm. of thought that goes into being on stage. Not for everyone, but I, I would say for most people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think. That is, it is truly about just leveling yourself mm-hmm. when you're performing with people. That's, I try to, and I think I pretty successfully go into most shows not considering anybody better or worse than right. anybody else. Just like, we are all, if there are six people, every, like, I'm one sixth of this show. Then. Yes. And that's, it's, I'm just an equal, equal status but different quality component yeah and that's and it's just about fully celebrate it, go, it goes back to like maybe that thinking about the artistic director hat mm-hmm. on during a scene is like this weird uh little bit of self-judgment that's sneaking in there mm-hmm. and it's just like it's about fully engaging yeah. with the people that you're with on stage so that's i guess i'd say that i've never really been the my teaching has always been has typically been to uh kids Mm. and sometimes adults but when i teach i specifically don't do games and don't perform Mm. uh just so i can i can be back and i can just be observing so i haven't really had this like i am in a position of leadership like exclusively with a performing group so i haven't had that feeling very strictly before but i know what you're talking about yeah but i I think that idea is uh, fast it, it makes total sense of like the artistic just sits out and watch it's it's the director of any play it's, yeah you're just helping these people get on their path and accomplish what they already have it's just being an outside eye and giving yeah. feedback to help i that actually makes a lot of sense i think freshman teague would have been like fuck that there's yeah. no way i'm sitting out but like that's that's important yeah the 
the hard thing is, and I, this, the reason that this makes this contentious is that typically the artistic director is one of the stronger performers just mm-hmm. because you, you get that role because the group gives it to you or the systems give it to you. Right. And, uh, and also like we come into this art form to perform. And yeah. so it's, it's, it's this strange variant of noble to have to be like, okay, I guess like I'm going to make the choice to not be on stage, uh, and just be, an outside entity that's looking in a way that I think that I've heard a couple places do it. And I really like this idea is that every show has a director mm. that is not necessarily the artistic director. So say you're doing, um, you're doing the sitcom format that you just did. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone else on the team might, who maybe someone who's real, who really knows a lot about sitcoms yeah. uh, would be a good director and then when the shows go on, they are the one that's that sits in the audience and gives notes. Or there's a, also a very easy middle ground to strike where it's if the person who's the director is willing and able to be at every show, you can still be in a couple shows, mm-hmm. but it's still nice to, if there's a run of four, if you have the same show uh, four times, if you're in one of them and you're in the audience for three of them, you still get a pretty good idea of what's happening. Yeah. Uh, like the, I think the fourth one is just like, it's just... More difficult and sometimes not worthwhile to give notes in a show that you're in, unless it's a group note session, unless everyone's right. saying how they felt about the show, yeah. because that's a part of giving notes is like sort of we, we try not to be subscriptive, but notes are kind of like I'm subscribing this idea to you mm-hmm. uh, because I saw this thing and here's the idea that follows it. Uh, versus when you're on stage, it's more of an I felt like this is this was my experience. Like yeah. I felt this way because I was in this show. That's a difficult balance to strike, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. Do you, do you have any ideas on that? No, no. I mean, a lot of stuff that you're saying is just fascinating to hear. It, yeah. It's it's all very practical theater things. Yeah. It's just sometimes improv forgets to implement those things that are very helpful. Yeah. Um, Sometimes improv forgets to acknowledge itself as theater also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, why why not? It, it is. It's important mm-hmm. just like it. Um, I think that I've definitely seen shows that have more weight and power than Streetcar Named Desire and stuff. It's just yeah. they don't exist any longer after that moment. Yeah. That's, that's kind of magical. That's amazing. Yeah. And that you could just forget that. Like, that... That's crazy, but yeah, I think I think with the directing and all that stuff, it it would be very beneficial to have that kind of group dynamic where everybody's like, "I'm gonna sit this one out to help my team. I'm going to be outside eye so I can give feedback to all these people and learning for the whole team of like, this is we all need yeah. to do this, not yes. just the artistic director. It's up to everybody to have these skills and develop them to speak up and give help and. Yeah be a collaborator with everybody else like they would do in theater. That's what a good theater company would do is all be on the same playing field. It's just sometimes this person now has a director's hat. This person now has a playwright hat, all that stuff. Yeah. And it also, it primes people to be the eventual artistic director. Exactly. It's like you were literally in charge of directing a show. You know how this feels. And now there's just a bunch of like, technical bullshit that you have to do also along mm-hmm. with being an artistic director that yeah. kind of flies under the radar um, oh I wish we had that idea at the beginning of this year that would have been yeah. really dope to play with yeah that's um, I don't know just convey it to the yeah, team pass, and see it, if, yeah, pass it to them see if they yeah they yeah. want it because that's 
And that's also, it's just like, I think it's just listening to your team also, mm-hmm. which is, there are some teams who would really vibe with that idea. And there are some yeah. teams where it's like, well, we can't have Tom not be in shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, that's, I think that's the best thing that's happened this year is just like, uh, there's a lot of people that are going to be on this team for years to come and they have thoughts and ideas of what they want the team to be, what they feel like things should be going towards. And when they speak up, it's like, yeah, let's just do that. Like my first instinct is always to be like, your idea is interesting. Let's do it and let's make it happen. Um, but it's encouraging people and teaching people that even though they're doing improv where their ideas all matter, that even in this setting, your ideas matter, share them, and let's create the team that we all want to have instead of just the upperclassmen or these three people, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's, and you can't, it's, that's a really good way to think about it is the team that we all want together to have. Yeah. You can't bring an idea. Like, it's like, okay, I'm going to join the team, and then it's going to be this way. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you can have goals, of course, Mm -hmm. but, like, solid ideas will never... And an idea in the future will never be the same as the actualization of that idea in the Mm -hmm. future. And so it's like, it's... Yeah, you have to be at least a little bit pliable. Like, stand by what you believe in, but, like, you know, you have to morph to the group sort of. And that's that's part of trust. That's part of, like, bringing a group together to cohese, and that's... And I think that's what giving a group artistic direction is mm-hmm. is having everyone trust each other enough and understand that uh their ideas are valued but aren't as are there aren't set in stone like no one's ideas are like the thing mm-hmm. um and so like when we can all trust each other and find that middle ground and you have a leader that like shoots us into the like it's like okay now we're going to take these ideas and this is the direction we're going right. in that's what I'm trying to figure out by doing this podcast. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, I hope that we're getting getting closer. I mean, that the, just the stuff we're talking about already helps me think a lot about it. So. Yeah, that's definitely... That's good. And it's been interesting to... I really like... Oh, this is going to get a little meta now. Uh, Let's do it! Yeah, I, I like... My favorite question is the big ambiguous question of what is your artistic direction? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think people think of it in those terms. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's always like a, a, the, the person who's getting interviewed is like, huh. Well. Well, yeah, I think it's – and then they – usually they, they start up a thought – and it lands on something that's beautiful. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, of course it is. Like, of it's course that's what your artistic direction is. I, I'm just interested in this I, this role of being active. Mm-hmm. You, you, are, you are an artistic director that is giving an artistic direction. Mm-hmm. You are not just a person who is leading. You're not just the person who's like, okay, well, I'm the one who talks now at the yeah. beginning to start things up. Like, and it needs to... A lot of artistic directors uh, inherit this role, and they don't really have this base. They don't really have yeah. this understanding, this thing to go to. And hopefully, like I, I'm hoping that this will help people. Like at some point, I, I've really liked the things that I've gotten so far. So it's like, it's one of those things where I try to remove my own bias. It's like I'd probably listen to a couple episodes. Of this <laughs> it's, it's important, especially for people that do get into that role. You know, just to know that people think the same way or like encounter the same problems. Like I hate being the one that always talks at rehearsal. It's like, all right, I'm just gonna keep doing this stuff, and it's always like, what do you think? If there's silence, then it's like, okay, let's move yeah. forward. Uh, I'm the one who's supposed to speak now. Yeah, it's like you 
I, I guess that's an important thing. Like, you don't always have to have the answer. You don't always have to be right. You don't, uh, you know, you don't always have to be right. But I think more importantly, you don't always have to have the answer. Don't, don't be something that you aren't. You don't have to trick people. If you're confused yeah. about something, be confused about it. If you don't understand, don't understand. Just, they, they, well, at least for the parrots, if you're the artistic director, they have to vote for the artistic director. That means they voted for the person that came before them being artistic director, not what this person would be like as artistic director. And yeah, there's a balance in that, of course. Yeah. But they they already saw the qualities in you before you had that role. So don't ditch those things. Yeah. Don't discredit yourself. I yeah. That. Yeah. You're worth it. That's yeah. You are enough. You yeah, are you enough. Are enough. That's yeah. That's a uh, yeah. If you just tell yourself that, I think you can pretty much fit anything that you need to do. You just like okay. I at least at very least I know that I'm enough, and mm-hmm. I if I'm not working at a proficiency level that I wish to be right now, I know that I'm enough. So how do I use myself to get to that place? Because that's like yeah. At the end of the day, you are all that you have. Yeah. And so when you're leading a group acknowledge that and then like seize it mm-hmm. <laughs> like seize grab it. it yeah yeah it's like that's yeah this is me i'm the i'm the leader but then it's like it is hard because you know having to like force a conversation forward mm-hmm. it's just like that is a certain point where it's like okay like i have to be the one that talks right now right. because this group would be really weird if we just sat in silence for half the time <laughs> yeah, it would not be fun it <laughs> yeah. would be very very uh not fun <laughs> Maybe experimental. Yeah, experimental. Like, yeah. There'd be some good improv that come out of it. I'm sure yeah. someone someone can do all that experimental just stuff. Completely silent improv. That'd be. Ooh, that I just for some reason thought of a format where it's a uh, silent film, and then you project a text document, and you have someone <laughs> yeah, typing out the yeah. dialogue. That'd be legit, actually. Yeah, that would be Especially good. if the text is in front of the performer, so yeah. they can't see oh, what's yeah. being typed. Oh, like on a scrim or something. Oh, mm-hmm. Is that yeah, a scrim? Yeah. Something like that, scrim, projector. Yeah, but like a, or, 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 a sheet that yeah. you can see through. <laughs> yeah. So you can see through, and then it, like the text pops up, and you can't see the improvisers for a second. <laughs> so, and, so it's also a shadow play at the yeah, same time. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love that. That would be really, that is artsy. That's artsy, yeah. and that's where we're going. Yeah, exactly. That's a new thing. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else that you want to cover? Uh, I've I feel great about this. No, I, I feel good too. Thanks you for having me on. It was yeah, super fun. Thank you so much, Teague. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug? Any online things that people can go to, or like to find out more about you or uh, just the parrots? Yeah. Well, we got the Dead Parrot Society on Facebook. Uh, you can find us, like us on there. It's probably just Dead Parrot Society. Yeah, I think um, it is. Maybe it, there's a dub 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 Dead Parrot Society. Uh, there we also have an Instagram, which would be the same thing, and as well as uh, we have a Snapchat, which should be dubw oh. Dead Parrot Society. Huh. Um, so we got all those. We got our music. Or actually, we have a fundraiser show on May twelfth, I believe, uh, for Relay for Life for the Dead Parrot Society. Okay. I don't think this episode will be out by that point. Word. So <laughs> don't worry about that. Uh, if you were there, it was a blast. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and then we'll also have musicals on May twenty sixth and May twenty seventh okay. at Old Main on Western's campus. Um, besides that, uh, the only thing I'd have to plug on my end is uh, the play that I wrote, Smooth Smooth Jazz, is going to be uh, up on stage on May 19th through the 21st in Old Main on Western's campus. Uh, It's all 
produced, student-directed, uh, student-acted. So if you want to see something I wrote, I'm also in it. Um, so yeah. there's lots of lots of fun, fun stuff to see. Um, it's going to be a really beautiful show. Yeah, I saw the stage reading of it. That was was it a year ago? A year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was great. I loved it. Thank you. I I really. There's something about the simple. There's only three people in the cast, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something that's so great about a small, simple cast. Yeah. And this like this funny idea. Yeah. There's lots of funny, funny stuff, and you know it hits deep when it needs to. Yeah. Exactly. It's got point. That's when you can be comedic and deep at the same time. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like you know I learned that from improv of like as long. You never make a joke in improv. Everything matters. Yeah. It's just, this is what the world is. Now let's explore it. And it'll be funny. Yeah. And it'll be funny. <laughs> it'll be funny. Uh, yeah, that's that's all I got. Okay. And then I, I like, I wanted to do this for episode one, and I forgot until the last episode that I recorded, but uh, I want to end my episodes. Can you give uh, one recommendation of anything? Uh, anything at all it could be like a movie a book like a, a lifestyle choice I don't know <laughs> oh oh I do have one okay. um, uh, I just read this amazing graphic novel uh, called Ant Colony okay. by Michael DeForge I think is what it's called is what his name is um, very um, uh, avant-garde art style but it's just about this these ants that live in this colony and it's like really funny really poignant and it's got false prophets it's got a, a war between the regular ants and the red ants oh, and wow. there's just like i always like stuff that is funny but not trying to be funny it just yeah. naturally is and it actually explores ideas and stuff the art's gorgeous and yeah i've been telling everybody about it because okay. i'm super excited about it that's so, perfect yeah. okay that's awesome uh, again, Teague, thank you so much for being oh, on. This is amazing. Uh, you can find out more about me at jacobalexanderferb.com. You can find this podcast on Facebook with uh, 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 the artistic director with Jacob Alexander Ferg. Same name for SoundCloud. Um, yeah, I don't know. Give me five stars or something. <laughs> That's how I'm going to end this podcast. Give me fucking five stars. Yeah. <laughs>